Welcome to our podcast. I'm Candace Nasser, and I'm the founder of MomQ. We're so blessed to have you with us here today, and I pray that God will speak to you with exactly the words that you need to hear in this message and that you will be encouraged. Welcome in. We have a good crowd today, so I'm excited to see everyone, and I hope you guys will find your time uh, here with us very useful. Uh, yes, as Elise said, we're talking about instilling honesty in our kids, and I know we have people from all different ages. Of, well, y'all are all different ages, but your kids are all different ages. We have babies in the belly and in the nursery, and all the way up into some of you have teens. So. I'm hoping that I will hit on something today that you can take away. Um, Because of the ages, I'm going to be covering uh, kind of a broad spectrum. And apologies in advance because I'm going to give you a lot of information. Uh, When I did my research on this topic, it just kept coming. So I think there's some really good things I'm excited to share with you. So I have a question for you. So I like to start with questions. What is the most outrageous lie another kid told you when you were a kid, if you can possibly remember that? Or if you can't, maybe your own kid told you recently the most outrageous lie. This question was asked on Twitter, and a guy named David Thorpe answered like this. All my own memories are eclipsed by my son's friend now. Wait for it. When he was seven, he told me that his mom was stung by a stingray when she was pregnant with him. And so now he has to stick his head in a bucket of water for a while every day in order to breathe properly. I just love that. Because why did that kid say that, you know? I mean, what made him feel like he had to add that embellishment to his story. Um, Maybe his mom was stung by stingray. Who knows? But kids say the darndest things, don't they? That used to be a show many years ago. They say the darndest things. Sometimes they lie when the truth would actually sound better so and be more believable. Um, Why do kids lie? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Um, I bet you can guess the number one reason kids lie. They don't want to get in trouble. That's exactly it. They lie because they don't want to get in trouble, okay? Second reason, to see how you'll respond. They want to test the limits, test the waters. Uh, Number three, to make a story more exciting, okay? The stingray, he has to stick his head in a bucket of water to breathe properly. I want to see that, right? Um, To experiment, for example, by pretending something that was in a story is real. Or um, to get attention, to make themselves look better, sound better, to get something they want. That's a big one. Like telling the babysitter, oh, my mom lets us have candy before dinner for sure. Yes, no problem. Um, Been there. Or to avoid hurting someone's feelings. We got those compassionate kids that are going to tell those white lies like we talked about a few weeks ago. 
Uh, by the way, we are wrapping up, I meant to say this to start with, we are wrapping up our honesty lessons today. So we have covered courage, honesty, um, we've, heard, we've covered honesty in ourselves, in our marriages, and then today is about instilling it in our kids. So yes, uh, we talked about those white lies a few weeks ago and how we, we want to speak the truth in love. I'm going to go over that again today. But all kids are going to lie. Who has caught their child in a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. If you haven't, you will. They usually start lying around the age of three, but some of those precocious ones can start at two or so when they start to understand that they can get away with something by lying. Uh, can we change? Do you have a poopy diaper? Can I change your diaper? No. When you can smell it across the room. Um, so we want to have a plan, right? We want to have a plan because they're going to lie. And unlike courage or contentment, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks, lying is a really tough one because it benefits us. So it's really hard to break. So we want to have a plan. And so um, I'm going to give you two suggestions this morning to center your plan around. And I've got your notes that you can take some notes. So here we go. So the first thing to, in order to instill honesty in our kids is we want to create a culture of honesty in our family. Last year, we did a semester called Building a Strong Family. Some of you were here for that. And we talked about the importance of creating a family mission statement. If you weren't here, you can go back and listen on our website. But it was, we talked about creating a family mission statement to center the family around so everybody's on the same page. And we also talked about having a set of family values that are enforced and encouraged in all members of the family. Well, honesty should probably be one of those, right? We all want, we all want honest kids, but as we said, they're going to lie. So in order to create this culture of honesty, we want to do three things, okay? And I'm going to go through one, uh, one by one. The first one is we want to model it, okay? We want to model it. The second one is we're going to teach it. And the third one is we're going to reward it, okay? So we're creating a culture of honesty. We're going to model it. What's that statement that we say in here a lot? We said it a lot last semester about what happens more is caught than taught, right? So I'm going to start with modeling. We want to model it. We want to be the example in their lives. Because you guys may not realize it, but you are all homeschoolers to a degree. Did you know that? Because the spiritual uh, life of your child, imparting that is your responsibility. You're the primary, you and your husband, or if you're not married, you're the primary responsible, the one that God has put in charge to be stewards of his masterpieces, right? And so you want to, we want to model that behavior of honesty and a couple of weeks ago, I talked about 
how to be honest in our conversations and our conduct. So I'm just going to go through those real quick just to briefly hit on those so we can all be remembering those. So we're going to be honest in our conversations because our kids are watching us, right? They're watching everything we're doing. We're homeschooling them in their spiritual life, in their spiritual walk. So we want to be honest in what uh, we want to stay away from gossip, right? We talked about staying away from gossip and how important that is. Uh, We talked about not lying to cover up sin and the hard, hard thing that that is, not lying to cover up sin. Um, We don't want to justify those white lies that we tell, and our culture tells us that it's okay because white lies are not truth, and then they can lead to bigger things. Uh, so and uh, so in our conversations, those are the three areas that we really want to be honest. And then in conduct as well, we want to be honest in our conduct. And that was where we are stop and ask what Jesus would do before we make a decision or say something that maybe we, may, we don't know whether we should say. We ask what Jesus would do. We keep our promises, okay, that we our yes be yes and our no be no. Bible says we want to keep our promises. God keeps his promises. That's integrity. And then lastly, we want to practice what we preach as much as we possibly can. Because if we are hypocrites, then our children aren't going to believe what we're telling them. Right? So we don't want to be hypocrites. We want to practice what we preach. So that's how we're going to model honesty. Right? And um, when our children see us doing these things then that sets the standard. That's the expectation, the standard that they know they need to live up to. If we don't do those things, then they're not going to get the message. And all family members should be held accountable for uh, accountable to this, these standards, this standard that we set for truth and honesty in our homes to reflect the character of God. So that's modeling it. Second, we want to teach it, okay? We we want to deliberately teach that, first of all, God tells us, commands us, really, to be honest. Honesty is non-negotiable because God is truthful and he cannot lie. So we're going to teach them that they are to be honest. Zechariah which is one of the verses that I gave you, is Zechariah 8, 16, and 17. These are the things you are to do, to speak the truth to each other, render true and sound judgment in your courts, do not plot evil against your neighbor, and do not, swear, do not, love, or, uh, do not love to swear falsely. That's what it is. Do not love to swear falsely. And then God says, I hate all this declares the Lord. I hate all this. So we are, God commands us to be truthful and honest, and we want to tell our kids that. And then that can inspire them to want to please God and walk in honesty because they know that God asks them to be honest. For some of them, that works. Um, we can, we've already discussed a number of verses so far that are about honesty and truth-telling in in the previous messages on honesty, so those are things that you can share with them that from your handouts, as well as memorize some of these verses, even just little parts with the littles. Just memorize the parts of some of these verses. 
Okay, so that's how we're, one of the ways we're teaching them that God requires and commands honesty. And then secondly, as we're teaching, we want to tell them that God rewards truthfulness and righteousness. Okay, so he calls us to do it, but he rewards us when we do it. Psalm 24, 3 through 5, who may ascend the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. So God will reward us. We can stand in his holy place when we are truthful. And truthfulness and righteousness are very connected, very, very connected. So we're going to teach them. We're going to model it, and then we're going to teach them these things. But how are we going to do that? When are we going to do that? Okay, I'm going to get, we're going to really talk about some great ways, practical tips to do this. And I also want you to share with each other when you get in your small groups. First of all, when are we going to teach these things? Well, when you're driving in the, on the road. Great time to talk to the, your children about these things. Put on the Christian songs. We used to have all kinds of songs I had for tape for kid, little kids. Oh, wait, tape. Um, you know, streaming, whatever. Um, but yes, put on the music, teach them while you're driving. Teach them at bedtime. Teach them when you're walking along the road. Teach them at family dinners. How many of you have family dinner time? Okay, excellent. I see lots of hands going up. That's awesome. Family, teach them at family dinners. If you're really ambitious, you can have a family devotion once a week or so. I know that sounds like a lot, but I bet somebody in here does it. Who does a family devotion? Anybody? Oh, Lauren does. Okay, you get the star, A+. Plus. Um, we tried it. We did it. We were successful some weeks, some weeks not, but it is a great thing to strive for, to have a family devotion once a week because that's a great time to pour into these, pour in these character lessons. So we're teaching honesty. And we're teaching it all along the way, as Deuteronomy 6 says, when we're, whenever we're with them. And how do we teach that? How do we teach honesty? Well, I'm going to suggest four things, and then you guys can also share in your small groups. So first of all, read Bible stories. That's a great thing. I know Carissa spoke to me already about how she bought the Rhyme Bible that I've suggested so many times. And how her daughter absolutely loves it and asks for it all the time. There are some great Bible stories about honesty. Some of them are a little scary, I'm going to be honest, like Ananias and Sapphira. If you know that story, it's in Acts chapter 5. Uh, you can summarize that one. Um, but basically, Ananias and Sapphira sold some property during the time when all the believers were coming together and... Uh, pooling all their, their property to support one another and just this beautiful fellowship of unity. And they sold some property, and they did not give all the money to the church. And when Peter confronted them, they lied about it, and the result is not good. So um, there are consequences. We can share that. And then Achan is in Chapter uh, 7 of Joshua, another really good story. So those are two really good stories to share about honesty. It's Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 and Achan in chapter um, in Joshua 7. Okay, then we can read books. 
There are lots of good books out there about honesty, and that's something for sure you can share in your groups because I don't know what's out there now. I know when my kids were little, Berenstain Bears, are they still around? Okay, love those Berenstain Bears. We read lots of stories. They have such good morals in their stories. Um, this, okay, I, got, I told my leaders this morning, I've had this. It was copyrighted in 1997. It's called Helpful House Treasury of Christian Virtues. I've had this since when my kids were little. It is very well-loved, and it has all these amazing stories in it that you can find singularly. This one guy wrote it. His name is Michael Waite, and they're all character stories, and they're so, so good. And guess what? There's one in here called Max and the Big Fat Lie, and we read it a lot. Okay, you remember Max and the Big Fat Lie, Starla? I love it. That's so cool. Um, I asked my daughter who's in town yesterday if she remembered it. She says, oh, yeah, I remember that one. Um, so Max and the Big Fat Lie. But the really cool thing is I went online and found out this book sells for like 400 and something dollars now. So I'm glad I still have it. Grandkids. Grandkids. Um, okay. Yeah, I know. It's really good. Um, okay. Then you have, so... Here's something else. I've printed this packet out for you guys to take a look at. This is, I had mentioned a couple weeks ago that kids, um, it's focused on the family Canada. I don't know why Canada. But they have these uh, lessons called Kids of Integrity. You can find them online. This one is about honesty. And it is so chock full of every kind of thing you can think of. Stories, but also activities. So it has these different lessons in here on teaching honesty with your kids, and it also has crafts and stuff. Okay, I am so not crafty, it's not even funny, so I probably would mess these up. But if you guys are crafty, it has some really good ideas to reinforce the lessons on honesty. So these are just some resources. I know there's many more out there, but again, we are their primary teacher for these types of things, right? It's our responsibility because we're the stewards of God's masterpieces. So we want to do all of these things and be their teacher on, on these different character lessons. And um, whether you think you're capable or not, remember God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. So he will give you the help to do it. And then one other thing that I found that is a great way to teach your kids about honesty that... Uh, I'm sure it's going to resonate with some of you, is to role play. This is a little bit for some of the older kids, but I found this article by a, a woman named Debbie Jansen, and she says, when dealing with issues of integrity, doing the right thing in the moment can be really hard for kids. And because it's not always going to be the most popular action or answer, they're going to struggle with conflicting emotions when they get in those situations where they have to choose something to do something right that is different than what the crowd is doing, right? And so particularly with children that are a little bit older, you can replay a scenario that maybe they didn't choose the proper response or one that you had hoped that they would choose. So you can replay that scenario and you can add in questions that would get to those gray areas and add, make sure there's some sort of conflict that would get them to see from the other person's point of view. Because sometimes kids do things and they don't realize who they're hurting, 
right, or what, who it is. I, I used to teach ethics in my finance classes at Vandergrift, and I always taught an, um, about the three ethical, the three-step ethical test. And the last one was, if you get through these parts, who is it hurting and why? Who is it going to hurt if you make this decision? And that was always really enlightening for them because they were like, oh, I didn't think about that. Okay, there's a lot of other people besides me that can get hurt in a certain situation or choice that I make or words that I say. So we can, we can role play and help them come to a wise solution. And then this one I could really relate to. She, um, Debbie Jansen, who I was quoting, she also said that some of her kids needed they, the role play, and, and that's probably, probably for eight and older. But the more younger, on the younger side, they can take a story that you tell them that plays the scenario out from beginning to end and relate to it better. So here's an example, and I bet some of you have experienced this. She says that her children would have a lot of sleepovers. You know where I'm going with this? Have sleepovers at friends' houses, and as they got older, she was concerned about how they would respond to their friends' decisions at the sleepover. Okay, I was there many times. So here's what she does. She comes up with a story. She says, Amy, let's suppose you're at your friend's house, and she wants to watch a movie we've said was unacceptable. So you, de you decide to watch it and not tell us. That night, you have a nightmare, and you can't sleep. And you wake up the next morning and you're irritable and you're fighting with your brothers. And you start to question Christian motives like this, the girl in the movie. And you find it's hard to ask your dad and I to come to us with your questions because you feel guilty about your decision. You feel you have to hide your disobedience and your problems. And Debbie says, with that one story, I brought the results of dishonesty and guilt into Amy's world, and she then understood the why of what she had to do. So I thought that was really good because I experienced something like that with my daughter. So I really, I really like that. Just playing those things out in advance so that they can think it through when they get in the situations, right? That's part of teaching them. Okay, so we talked about modeling it. We've talked about teaching it. And now we're going to talk about rewarding it. This is helping us create a culture of honesty in our homes. We're going to reward it. Compliment them when they are honest. Don't get angry when you, they tell you the truth about something that happened. Even consider reducing consequences if they are honest about something they did wrong. An article in Christian Parenting by Edward Welch says, to reward them for choosing honesty, you could say, what a hard and wise thing you have done. You chose to tell the truth rather than to hide it. Good job. And this could be followed by some questions and some dialogue, like, what, what helps you make the decision to be honest? Or what can your dad and I do to help you when you're tempted to be dishonest? And then pray with them. And thank Jesus for helping them. Imagine what would happen if you focused instead on the disobedience and you got angry. 
What would that tell your children? I've been there. What would that say? Don't be honest. Hide it from mom and dad because it's going to upset them if I tell what really happened. That's what gets reinforced, right? So as hard as it is, when we see, when we know that our kids have done something dishonest, we really, really want to pray to try to not be angry, but to help them know when we're creating this culture of honesty that they can be honest with us. A great verse to keep in mind for the, uh, is a family verse, really, for a culture of honesty, is 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. Some translations say speaking lies. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. Isn't that beautiful? But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So... Let's unpack this a little bit. Whoever would love life and see good days. I just want to start there because our God is so awesome. He wants us to love life and enjoy and experience good days. No matter what is going on in our lives, there's always something we can be thankful for. For our salvation alone and for the way God provides for us, right? We can be thankful Following his commands and precepts brings blessings. Whoever would love life and see good days. And then it says to keep our tongues from evil and our lips and our um, and our lips from deceitful speech. And what's interesting about this verse, one of the reasons I love it so much, is because not only does it tell us things, it says, you know, stay away from evil and guard your lips, but it also is it is promoting or advocating, I should say, some other character traits here. Like in this instance, when we're talking about uh, keeping our tongue from evil and our lips from deceitful speech, how easy is that? Pretty tough, right? Um, it's so hard that James, in his book, in the New Testament, wrote a whole chapter on taming the tongue. Did you ever read it? Because if you haven't, you should. It's really hard to keep our tongues from evil and our lips from deceitful speech. You know what it requires? Self-control. And did you know that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit? We need self-control. And so that's one of the beautiful characters. Some of these character traits all just intertwine, right? And so if we're going to have honest speech... We need to pray for self-control, right, and the Holy Spirit to control us. Uh, we know that words hurt. Chris Rock, anybody, you know, about the whole Will Smith and the Academy Awards are this Sunday, so that's all out, you know, like what happened with that. The words hurt. Um, slaps hurt worse. Um, but he, um, we know that maintaining control over our tongues is hard. So we want to pray for self-control, and God will give it to us. And then another, a great, um, I have a good verse in there, Psalm 141.3. That's a great thing to pray with your kids daily and pray over ourselves. It's set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Set a guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. 
pray for and talk about self-control. And then the verse says to turn from evil and do good. So we keep our tongues from evil. We turn from evil and do good. God is the standard of all that is good, right? It is vir- goodness is virtue and holiness. Doing things on behalf of others selflessly without worrying about the cost is goodness. Integrity. All these things weave weave together. And then the word turn is actually the old English word is eschew, which means to abhor, to avoid. Actually, it means to shun or avoid because we abhor it or hate it. God hates evil. And we are to run from it. We are to flee. So we can help our children understand that we're going to be tempted to lie and turn towards evil, but we can have self-control. We can turn from it. We can flee from it with the Lord's help. When we obey and surrender to the Holy Spirit, righteousness follows. Righteousness follows. And what is God pleased with? For the Lord, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. We all stumble and fall, but we want to confess it and be righteous with God because the result is he hears our prayer. So when we are righteous, the Lord hears our prayers. So what is this verse not saying that is implied? When we are unrighteous, when we are walking in sin, when we are lying and keeping, hiding things, Or other parts of uh, things that have to do with honesty, stealing, cheating. The Lord is not going to hear our prayers. That's really, really hard to swallow. We think that he's going to, he hears them, but he's not attentive. It's kind of like that child from the neighborhood that comes over and is always asking for things. I'm thirsty or I'm hungry or whatever it is. You kind of don't hear them as well as if your child stands in front of you and says, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty. Really, what do we, I always say, I don't care. (laughs) You have to ask nicely. But anyway, they, um, we we hear, the Lord hears our prayers when we're in righteousness. And so we want to walk in righteousness, turn from evil. So does your child have a problem with lying or Do you not know when they're lying? I thought it would be a good idea to look at some signs from psychology today about how to recognize when your children are lying because we second guess it, right? And and then we're tired and we don't want to deal with it. So we said that we don't want our we don't want to yell at our children and we don't want to accuse. Um, What's going to happen if you think they're lying and you just stand there and accuse and accuse and accuse? If they're strong-willed, they're going to dig their feet in deeper. They're not going to be honest. They're not going to admit it. Okay? So, if we can feel a little bit more confident maybe in recognizing the lies, then we can have a better response. We can have a better response. So, that's what I'm going to go through. So, Uh, Psychologist Adrian Furnham identified a variety of ways to detect whether a person is being dishonest. 
lag time between question and response. If there's a lag time, then they're probably trying to come up with the right answer that they think you want to hear. How about changing topic or offering irrelevant information? That is certainly a sign that they're put on the spot that they might be lying. Higher than normal vocal pitch. It's a sign of anxiety and fear. If they're talking a little bit higher, a little bit faster, faster than usual, lack of pause. Okay, they're trying to, uh, this is, um, they're trying hard to convince you if they're talking a little bit faster, not pausing. Stuttering not present in normal speech. But, 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 you know, that means they're nervous. They're trying to hide something. Avoiding eye contact or awkward movement. Guilt shows guilt and other negative emotions. And finally, physical distance and barriers. Are they crossing their arms or their legs? Are they turning away and putting distance between you and them? That usually, those are nonverbal clues that they're probably lying. Okay, so if you observe one or more of these, what do you do? Well, at a minimum, you pro they're probably not certain about what they're saying. So you're going to hold on and maybe throw up an arrow prayer for wisdom and how to handle it. We're not going to accuse or shame or yell. Instead, we're going to try to create a culture of confession. Okay. So while we're creating this culture of honesty, Teaching, modeling, rewarding, at the same time, we're creating a culture of confession, okay? So we recognize that they're lying. There, I'm going to give you five suggestions on what you can do to address it from a licensed social worker named Laura Cohn. They're so good, I want to go into a little bit of depth here, okay? So I gave you, I have it all on your notes. There, these are some really good steps. And keep in mind that even if we do these things, we still may not get our kids to confess. But I think as we work towards these things and we continue to create these, uh, these cultures, and as I talk through some of these things, I think if you keep doing it and keep at it, eventually they're going to respond, hopefully, prayerfully. All right, so the first one is don't avoid addressing the lying. Don't avoid addressing the lying. It's tiring to deal with these things. But what do we, but remember, moms, we are on a mission. We're on a mission to raise our kids up to love and obey God. And so we, a good thing, I, there's a great story that this author uses that I'm going to weave throughout. So think of Jesus and the woman at the well. If you're not familiar with the story, it's in John chapter 4. This woman lived in Samaria, and Jesus knew about her. And so he missionally, intentionally went through Samaria to find her. When most Jews, most all Jews would go around it, right? Because the, Samaria, the Samaritans were just so unclean, and they just didn't like, they couldn't stand them. So they went around Samaria when they were walking anywhere. But Jesus went through it. Because he was, had a missional mindset that he knew about this woman that he wanted to reach. And he gets there and he 
asks her for a drink, and then he tells her to go get her husband and come back. Well, she responds by saying, I have no husband. Is that the truth? No, it wasn't the truth, and Jesus knew it. But instead of accusing or yelling or shaming, he said, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite right. Remember your purpose, your missional purpose. We want to address the patterns of lying and sin in our kids' lives. And so we have to pray for the strength to do it. Don't avoid it. Then we want to connect. The next thing to do, so we're going to address it. We're going to make the time, whether it's in the moment or later that day, sometime we're going to address it. You see the signs. You think they're lying. We're going to address it. Next, we're going to connect with them. We're going to connect with our children. When Jesus met the woman at the well, he reached out first. He said, can you give me a drink? That was, he went to her first. He didn't wait for her to come to him. So we're going to connect with our children in the moment. And you could say something like, you know, mommy was telling a story today, and I just exaggerated and embellished the truth. I don't know why I did that. Sometimes it's just really easy to lie. Immediately, your child is engaged with you if you're honest like that. Now, it may seem counterintuitive to admit that you had a problem with lying, but it's amazing how that bonds them to you. They identify with that, just like Jesus did with the woman at the well. They bond with you, and they're more open immediately. So we don't avoid it. We deal with it. We have a missional mindset. We connect with our child. And then we ask questions to dig deeper. Ask questions. We talked about last semester the importance of getting to the heart of the matter. And in order to do that, right, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. This this evil, this lying, this sin in their hearts has to be dealt with. And so how are we going to get to the reason behind the lie? We're going to ask questions. We're going to try to determine what is causing them to lie. Are they afraid of getting in trouble? Are they just trying to make themselves look good? What is it, right? We're going to ask questions. And I actually have it on your small group questions to maybe, if you have time today in your small groups, to come up with some of those questions that you can ask to lead and draw out your kids in those moments. Okay? And then we want to emphasize the consequences of lying. I'm not talking about the punishment. I'm talking about the consequences of breaking trust with you and with others in their lives. Those are the consequences of lying. We don't want to shame them again. We're just going to explain the facts. You could say, when you lie, it makes, me, it, makes it hard for mommy to trust you and trust what you say. I don't like that nagging doubt in the back of my mind that you might not be telling me what happened, the truth. And if they continue, we also want to stress that if they continue to lie and ignore their conscience, then the Holy Spirit, they're not going to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And then what happens if we start to ignore the Holy Spirit? 
Satan uses that to drive us farther and farther from God. So the consequences of lying are more than just getting in trouble. It goes way more. Sue, in our leader's devotion this morning, said that we, the only thing that we take to heaven is our character. And I just thought that was so profound. The only thing we take to heaven is our character, not our possessions, not our um, whatever, success. We only take our character. So we want our children to understand the importance of these character traits, honesty being a key one. And then the fifth one is point them to Jesus because there's always hope in Jesus, right? There's always hope. Jesus told the woman at the well that he was Messiah. And immediately her shame was erased. And she ran to tell everyone in the village what he had done for her. If we point to hope in Jesus, he did not condemn her, but he made her heart ripe for change. We want to help their hearts be ripe for change. You could pray. uh, Pray with them. Encourage them to pray. Lord, help me to win this battle against lying today. And if I fail, help me to accept your forgiveness. Accept your forgiveness. Give me a desire to live in a way that is pleasing to you. And again, at this point, we hope that they will be inspired to confess. If not, keep praying. Don't just sit there and berate them. Give them time to think, pray, and walk away, and maybe come back to it later. We're creating a culture of confession. And so we want to, here's an overarching thing to do, is develop a family tradition of confessing. Develop a family tradition of confessing. The best time to do this is when do you think? With your kids in the day. When you're putting them to bed. They typically want to talk then, right? Sometimes it's the only time they want to talk. And if you're putting them to bed, you can, this is the time when they can look at, you're praying with them. It's a great time to say, is there something that you want to confess today? And you can confess something as well, maybe that you made a mistake with. Uh, Edward Welch, in Helping Your Child with Lying, says, you could say, even when we belong to Jesus, we still sin. And God doesn't want us to cover it up. In fact, he wants us to confess it. Confess it. And he wants to forgive us. Let's pray. I confess whatever it is. Or is there anything you want to confess to Jesus? Psalm 32, 1 through 5. I have it on your verses. It is so good that I think it's something that we need to learn to paraphrase to our children. We can, all, we can be really happy when we tell God what we've done wrong. He already knows what we've done, but it's really good when we tell him. We say it and ask for forgiveness. When we try to hide what we've done, it can feel like we're carrying around a big box of junk. 
And when we confess it, we lay down that junk. And we feel much better when we tell our sin to God and know that he forgives us. And then if you haven't, at this point, a great thing to do at bedtime in, in this moment of creating this confession is to share the gospel with them. Tell them that Jesus came to die for their sins, past, present, and future. He will forgive them and love them no matter what. They need to receive him as their Lord and Savior, as, as their Lord and Savior, their personal Lord and Savior. You can ask them if they want to do that at that time. So these are tips to create a culture of confession. One more thing is also acknowledge and make retribution. That's the last point on your outline. Is acknowledge and make retribution when your children have hurt someone with, a dishon with dishonest behavior. My son Luke, when he was about three years old, he was, we were in the dentist office in the waiting area, and somehow he was playing with some of their toys, and a little action figure ended up in his pocket, and we got home, and a couple days later, I found the action figure, and I'm like, I didn't buy this. Where did this come from? Went to him. We talked about it. He admitted that he took it from the dentist office, and so I, you know, we, I, we prayed, and I asked him if it would be a good idea to take it back to them and tell them what he did. And he, he didn't really want to, but he agreed to do that. We did. And we went back. I called them in advance and let them know that we were coming. He took the little toy to the dentist, to the receptionist, and he explained that he took it by accident. He was really sorry that he did that. And, of course, they were gracious. But, you know, that really affected him. He was, very, he was my very honest child. Now, they're all different. We talked also in leaders about some kids have a problem with dishonesty and some don't. They all have a problem with something, right? Um, but anyway, that just made a big impact to instill honesty in him, to make retribution. So we're going to create a culture of honesty. And Colossians 3, 9 and 10, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So this verse is explaining, first of all, Paul is before this given a long list of sins that we are to turn from if we're going to grow in spiritual maturity. Lying is the last one he addresses. And he says, you are to take off, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on your new self, okay? So we put on our new self, which is a reference to, this is a once and for all action. It's a reference to when Jesus left his grave clothes in the grave and took on his new body and walked out of the grave in resurrection. You see, when we have Jesus as our Savior, we have a new self that we can walk in. We don't have to be mastered by sin. And that's what we want our children to understand. And also, they need to be renewed in the knowledge and the image of their creator. That just basically means an ongoing process of knowing God's will, knowing his word, being transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can look more and more like Jesus. So that's a great verse as well to share with our children that we can have victory over lying and sin. And 
Christ performs a transformation by renewing our mind in his truth. So I'm going to call Kendra up now, and I need the mic. Um, and she's going to share a few things that they did in the Eccles home to instill honesty in, in her children's lives. So first of all, Kendra, can you just remind us Hello. about um, your kids' ages and, and all that sort of thing? Yes. Um, so I'm married to Jeff. We've been married for 23 years. I have um, three kiddos. Keller is my oldest. He's a boy. He's a senior. Um, our next is Brandon. He is 16, a sophomore. And then we have Holland, who's a girl, and she's in seventh grade. She's 12. And there's, there's actually more to our family. I don't normally share this information, but there's a reason why I'm going to share this with you all this morning is um, we, in between Brandon and Holland, we had a daughter as uh, she was stillborn, and we named her Paige. And um, her birthday's in a couple days. So anyway, so I don't normally share that, but I was just, anyway, her birthday's in a couple days. So I just thought I'd share that with you all. So that's our family. See you again. Exactly, I will. Wonderful. So I talked about creating a family culture of honesty. Can you give us some examples maybe of how you guys did that? Or did you have a plan to deal with honesty or just what, how did that work in your family? You know, not not a super great plan. (laughs) I'm going to just... First of all, I just want to say this was an amazing, this was such a great talk today. I think that Candace could give this to adults. And so I think this is something, so I personally struggle with lying and dishonesty. I have my whole life. So I'm one of those kids that just, um, you know, make things a little more comfortable, make myself look better than I am, um, avoid pain. And so um, I struggle with it. And so um, some of the things that I might share about this morning is not so much what I did right as a parent for my kids, but just some of the things that I've struggled with personally. Um, Two things that you said that I want to touch on. The first, when you said modeling, modeling it for our kids, I think that that is so important. And, um, and they see that. So an example of when you're praying with your kids and you were talking about confessing. So if you go through the ACTS prayer, if y'all don't know what that is, your leaders can tell you about that. But the C stands for confession. And I think that's really important. So you kind of model it and you go through each thing. And for the C, you can, I mean, you're confessing. And some of the things that I would say with my kids praying with them at night is, you know, mom, today in a conversation, I, I wasn't honest and I, I embellished things. And I made myself look better than I actually am. And that's wrong. And I, I, I need to, I confess that. And they just see that that's, it's, um, they see that transparency. So that's an example. Something else as they were older, um, middle school teenagers, I, if Jeff and I have been in an argument or something and I handled things wrong or handled or I lied to them, I don't share this in front of Jeff, but I'll say, hey, I just, I just wanted to tell you about something that happened to me today. And the reason I'm telling you this is because you're going to be married someday and it's hard. <laughs> and 
And I'll just tell him, like, hey, here's an example of something that happened with dad and I. And I lied to him, and I don't give them example, I don't tell them the exact information, but I just say, I lied to him, and that hurt him. And I had to go back and apologize. And so, um, so that's, that's an example. Um, oh, something else that I am convicted of, that when the words come out of my mouth, I'm like, what, what am I saying to my children? And I'll say something like, hey, your dad doesn't need to know about this. Or, um, or if we're, if I spend money on something, I'll just say, hey, your dad doesn't, just, he doesn't need to know about this. Or, hey, don't tell your dad about this. And as it comes out of my mouth, I'm like, what? And, and I'll, you hear, I hear myself saying that and I'll go back late, I'll, either in the moment I'll go, you know what? I don't, I don't ever want to say to you, don't tell your dad about this. Like, that's just not okay. So in the moment, I'm either convicted in the moment and I just say, okay, that was wrong, that don't do that. Or later I'll come back and just say, I, I, I'm really sorry I told you to not tell your dad about that because that's not right and that's not okay for marriage either. So that's, that's an example. Yeah, transparency is huge and confessing. Yeah. I love that. Um, also, we talked about, well, you've, you've kind of given some, some um, confession strategies, but um, are there any specific verses or prayers that you shared with your kids? Yes. Um, I'll, I'll end with this story. Um, but one of the last things that, that Candace said is point your kids to Christ. So all of our kids are adorable. My kids are super adorable. Um, they're broken. I'm broken. They, they can't fix themselves. I can't fix, I can't fix my issue with dishonesty and lying. Someone else has to fix that for me and for our children. And that answer is Christ. And that's the only answer. And so, um, for me personally, God God came in and changed me. And so here's, here's, um, here's a story that made a big impact in my life. So I'm um, April 1991. I'm a junior in high school. And um, I, it was before school one morning. I'm in school and I hear the words, Kendra, what do you have in your hands? What are you holding? And it was the voice of my chemistry honors teacher. And I was in a room right next to my chemistry class, and she is standing behind me when she says it, and I'm holding a copy of the test with the answers, trying to quickly memorize the answers. She, the other part that's really awkward about this situation is that she actually kind of knew my family um, because we had a mutual friend, so that was even worse because, you know, it's... It's great when you get caught by people you don't know, but when you get caught by people that you kind of know, it's worse, right? And so, um, so she snatches the test out of my hand, says nothing. We walk in silence to the office, and I mean, nothing. She says nothing to me, and I'm just imagining, like, the anger, the judgment that she has towards me. I'm so embarrassed. Um, we get to the office. I am, go into a room sitting by myself. I have to call my mom. My mom comes up to the school. My mom, oh, and this woman's name is Mrs. Doobie, Bridget Doobie. 
Mrs. Doobie and my mom are sitting in another room talking for a long time, and I'm just imagining, like, how awful this conversation is and all of this. So um, the consequences that, that continue that day is I was expelled. What happens when it's just a couple days? Suspended. Suspended. I was suspended from school for two days, I, um, which also meant I couldn't go to tennis practice, which meant I had to tell my tennis coach. I had to tell my FCA sponsor, which I was the FCA president of my high school. And the other consequence was I got kicked out of NHS for forever. So, so y'all are thinking right now, at least I would be thinking hearing this story is stupid. Why did you just not get caught? If you just hadn't gotten caught, it would be okay, right? Why did you have a test at school? Like you idiot. So, um, so anyway, but the, the worst part of the story is coming that I haven't told you is that I had to go home and tell my dad. And the, the interesting part of the story is that my dad was also a chemistry high school teacher at a different high school, but in the same district. So he used the same textbook and I was taking the test from his office from home and I had gotten really good throughout the year, like just memorizing the answers at home. But this day I was too lazy and I, you know, so I actually took the test from his binder to school. So it was, right? <laughs> just, right? So, so, um, yeah, if I had just not taken it to school, I wouldn't have gotten caught, right? So anyway, so it was, so I had to tell my dad um, when I got home it was, um, it was the worst day of my life, or was it? That's the, that's the catch there, or was it really the worst day of my life? Because there's more to this story. So um, I, was, I was a Christian in high school, so I was already a Christian at this point that this happened. My oldest brother, Kevin, had told me about Christ, and I went seeking. I went seeking what he showed me in his relationship with Christ, I went seeking for that because I wanted that. And just like you were talking about the woman at the well, oh, I love the story of the woman at the well because that, I mean, Christ just came and met me. Like he, he met me where I was. I was 14 years old when I accepted Christ and he changed my life. And so I knew that through this horribly embarrassing experience that God was trying to teach me something. And so it, um, so I knew that there was a purpose in it. I knew that God's hand was teaching me something. There was good that was going to come from it. And my dad and I reconciled. He didn't get in very much trouble. I learned some lessons. I never cheated on a test again. And so that was, you know, lesson learned. God worked. But then here's the, here's the best part of the story. So then in college, somehow... My, road, my path crossed with Mrs. Doobie again, which is super uncomfortable, right? Like, why do I have to come in contact with this woman again? Because it was a horribly embarrassing situation. Um, but I led music for a Christian retreat, and my mom and Mrs. Doobie ended up being, we were all on the same team together. So we went to like one of our first team meetings. I'm probably 21 years old at this point. We go to one of our first team meetings. Okay, I might cry at this, but that's okay. It's okay. Went to a first team meeting. There's probably 25 women. They're all super spiritual, amazing ladies. 
and we're in this circle, and we're going around introducing ourselves, and it gets to Mrs. Doobie, and she shares the story of how she knows me and my mom and talks about the test, and I'm like, this is not happening to me. This is not happening. <laughs> it's the worst moment of my life, but oh, I will cry. Okay, but she shares it from her perspective. The whole time, the whole time we were walking down the stairs to go to the office, she said that she was fighting back tears because she just had so much compassion for what I was about to go to she go through. She kind of knew my family. She had respect for my family. She just she she had compassion for me. Whenever we were, whenever I was sitting in that room in the office by myself, and she was with my mom, she and my mom were crying. Oh, she and my mom were crying together. Um, like as moms, not like a teacher, you know, who was about to, un, you know, unfold wrath on a student. I mean, like they were, and she just said that she, so she shared this story of just the grace that she had for me. And ladies, that, that moment for me, um, just hearing her perspective and how much she cared about me and just hearing the other side of it, that Christ just, it, it just pointed me to Christ and his forgiveness and grace. And it, it changed my life forever. That was a defining moment in my life that God would somehow use something awful to show me his love and his unconditional love. And so Candace's point was point them to, to Jesus. I would, I tell my kids all the time, I'm praying that you get caught because I'm not going to catch you, but I'm praying that you get caught and that God just convicts you of what, of sin in your life. After that experience with Miss Doobie, within the next year, I really came face to face with dishonesty in my life. I went to a lot of people and apologized. I went to my parents and just kind of unloaded like all the things I'd lied to them about. <laughs> It was just, it was a life-changing um, thing that God did. And so that's what I would say is just pray for them to get caught and that God deals with them. Because you can't, you can't deal with all of it, but he can. So that's, mm. that's my story. Yeah. Kendra, I can't thank you enough for sharing. I have heard that story, and I was so hoping she would go there. So... Um, so, so good. Just God's grace, God's grace. And we want to point them to Jesus by giving our children grace in these moments. And so, uh, we're out of signal, but, um, I just wanted to give you an opportunity. You can do this in your groups. I gave you a lot of information this morning. So if you could just pick one thing, maybe that you heard today and make that your action item. I put that there's a, a spot on your your handout, I can be more intentional in raising honest children by, just think of something that you heard this morning and just make that your action item, okay? And the last thing I want to say is just, as Kendra said, pray, pray for our children. There are, in this packet, there are a ton of amazing prayers for children and parents about being honest. Uh, we want to pray over our kids about everything, um, but honesty 
is very, you can be very specific. Uh, I like this prayer that was in this packet, and this is what I'm going to close with. So our, our question is, how can I instill honesty in my kids? And the answer is by creating a culture of honesty and confession, right? So that's, that's being honest ourselves, transparent, teaching, modeling, rewarding, pointing to Jesus. So I'm going to close with this prayer. It's, it's, Father God, I ask that our families will be characterized by honesty and integrity. May we highly esteem truth-telling and be known as those who can be trusted to tell the truth regardless. Thank you for your promise to watch over us when we choose the path of righteousness for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.